Hi, my name is Chelsea and I'm the Director of Hospitality here at Door of Hope Southeast. So for those of you who don't know me, I am the person who leads all the welcome ministry teams uh, who would serve you coffee and prepare communion, greet you at the door and, and all that stuff. Um, and I'd just like to say, you know, we miss you, we love you, we're praying for you. Um, and personally, I'm super excited to get back to Sunday services when we do. Um, when the time is right to continue uh, greeting you and serving you. So I wanted to mention a couple of things today. There's a new to Door of Hope survey on the website under the community tab um, and on the ways to connect page. So that page itself has a ton of great resources. There's events, um, podcasts, music, all that stuff. Uh, go check it out. I hope you enjoy. Um, but for those of you who have just started attending Door of Hope or you started coming to Door of Hope right before COVID hit, uh, well, there's a survey um, which is a way for the staff to get to know you. Uh, it's a way for the welcome ministry teams to greet you and um, say hello. We're glad you're here and we're just excited to get to know you. So the other thing that I wanted to mention for you guys is uh, if you're a woman at Door of Hope and you're looking to get connected, the Women's Ministry uh, Connection team would love to send out a survey and see what you're interested in, uh, whether that be events, Bible studies, uh, or just women's groups. We just want to hear from you and see what you're interested in. And um, yeah, just further connection between the women at Door of Hope and uh, foster fellowship and, and connection in this virtual time. So we are going to dive into the word, but before we do, uh, I would just love to pray for us. So Lord, we come to you this morning and uh, we thank you for who you are, for the fact that you are present with us and faithful to be in the midst of this uh, season with a lot of turmoil and, um, you know, a lot of things going on for us individually, as well as us as a community. God, I just pray that today um, you would meet each person with uh, an overwhelming sense of your presence and your grace, uh, with um, a further understanding uh, and enlightenment to who you are, uh, your character, your love for them, and um, the truth of your gospel, uh, the truth of, of just what you have done for them and, and who you call them to be. Lord, um, we love you so much. We are grateful for your comfort and your love, the joy that you bring in the midst of this challenging season. And um, we just look to you to be our, our water, our, our bread, um, and our source of life. Uh, so God, we praise you, we glorify you, and in your name, amen.
Well, good morning, Door of Hope. It is good to be with you wherever you may be watching this. Um, we are going to be continuing in our series on the seven deadly sins. So much fun. I hope you uh, found uh, the message of grace uh, interwoven through our last two messages on pride and then last week on lust. Uh, but today we are going to look at the vice of anger. Uh, and I think something that is very relevant for this current moment that we find ourselves in. Uh, and we are going to be looking at uh, how it is that we can move from fury uh, to forgiveness. And how is it that we as a people of God, as followers of Jesus, should we respond uh, to injustice? Is it, is it wrong to be angry? Uh, and I think it's important to consider first uh, right and wrong anger because Ephesians chapter 4 verses 26 through 27 says what? Be angry and do not sin. So it's a call to be angry about sin but don't allow that anger to turn into sin. It says be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. As I've said before, uh, wrath really does belong to God, for wrath is God's love violated. He alone can handle uh, his righteous indignation uh, toward sin, and he hates sin because it robs him of what he loves, which is people. But I do not believe that human beings are capable of maintaining any kind of righteous indignation for any length of time, which is why I believe Paul says, do not let the sun go down on your anger. Now, there are some uh, who believe anger is an emotion that should never be exerted uh, in the Christian, that the repression of the emotion is the only acceptable answer. But the Bible never promotes this. Uh, our text says, actually, be angry and do not sin. Uh, we should be angered by, by sin and injustice in the world. Uh, and I think that this is an appropriate response. The, the question is, is how do we deal with it? And how do we prevent it from becoming the wrong kind of anger? You know, uh, what the scripture is declaring for us is that literally be angry in a way that does not give opportunity uh, to the dominions of darkness. Don't, as God's servants, <laughs> become Satan's tools. Uh, this is essentially what Paul is saying. So there seems to be a right kind of anger and a wrong kind of anger. And I think it's important to begin by uh, considering what the difference is. Anger is a natural instinct of humanity. The capacity for anger against that which is evil uh, is essentially right and good. Anger is fundamental function of, of how we respond to injustice. Uh, it, is, it is that sense of being wronged or seeing someone wronged. It is part of the image of God and man uh, that is the outcome of sin. It's how we respond 
to sin. We cannot be indifferent. I'm actually far more concerned about an indifference toward that which brings out God's anger uh, than, than an anger that can go sideways. And I won't jump the gun because one of the deadly sins uh, is, is apathy, where, where nothing really bothers you. Nothing is worth living for, nor is there anything worth dying for. That is a horrible place to live. It's like being the walking dead. Um, scripture never tells us to crucify uh, natural instincts, but what we are told is that the whole life is meant to be brought under the control of the Holy Spirit and that none of the drives and the urges of what it means to be human are meant to take the central seat uh, in which our loyalty, our covenant faithfulness to a God who is faithful toward us, uh, when our affections are right, when God is at the center, uh, it allows those other aspects of our humanity uh, to take their proper place, including uh, our emotions. Psalm 97, 10 says, you who love the Lord hate what is evil. We're told, Again and again, in Romans 5, the love of God has been poured out into our hearts uh, who has been given to us. But a little bit later, it says, therefore, cling to what is good and hate what is evil. Uh, as our capacity to love God and others increases, so does our sensitivity to a violation of his character. And I think that an example of this, uh, for me personally, happened on Saturday when, uh, when there was a self-proclaimed evangelist that came to Portland uh, and in investigating what was happening as a pastor of a church in Portland, a significant church, and talking to other pastors of significant churches, and none of us knowing about a gathering of a man who was coming to Portland to do a waterfront gathering proclaiming that, that this is the revival that is going to come to the city because of this outside person coming in, when in actuality it ended up being a political move uh, to show a support for the right against the left. It was a no-mask gathering. It was a gathering of, of, of almost zero people that lived in the city. Uh, and it was, from my vantage point, nothing more than a, a, a show-and-blow kind of event that was driven by a personal agenda to run for Congress uh, in California, and I found that disheartening, and it angered me. But I had to be even there reminded of Paul's own words, that even when people preach Jesus from, from vain ambition, He's just grateful that the name of Jesus is proclaimed. Um, it saddens me, though, when, uh, when people misuse the name of Jesus for personal uh, recognition and gain. And I, I don't know the man personally. I don't doubt that he loves Jesus. But there was no doubt that there was a political agenda uh, in what happened. And anyone that comes into a town without connecting with the local church uh, is making a presumptuous move uh, at, at best. So, there, I just said it, and it made me angry again, just in that moment. 
And that's why we have to continually bring our frustrations to the Lord, uh, that it might not become something that brings damage to the heart and the mind. We cannot say we love God unless we also recognize that there is a world and a system that is fighting against God and that our love for him means that we will love the things that he loves and there will be an increasing frustration or indignation toward the things that are against him. We will, we will with him hate the things that he hates because we love the things that he loves, which is people. Uh, and so this is why it says of Jesus himself, he was angry at the Pharisees when they were trying to attack him for healing on the Sabbath. And when he had looked around at them with anger, being grieved at the hardness of their hearts in Mark 3, 5. Once again in Mark 10, he was angry when the disciples kept children away from him. He, when he spoke to them in anger, he said, let them come to me. In John 2, he was angry when he cast the money changers out of the temple using a whip. It says, zeal for your house has eaten me up. Anger is needed at times to prod us into action, to get us moving along the lines of proper concern. We hear of some gross injustice and we get angry and rightfully so. There's a warning here against apathy, a lack of anger towards sin, when we no longer are moved by injustice, when we feel nothing for the oppressed, we are in the danger of what Paul condemns in Ephesians 4, uh, referring to, to people who have moved past feeling. Uh, they're no longer capable of feeling anything, and that is an indifference that comes from a hardness of heart. Uh, and, and this happens when love grows cold. Do not Condemn yourself because you get angry, but do not let it carry over. Do not act out of anger. Act rather out of love, the love that has made you angry. Warnings in regard to anger unchecked. There is the wrong kind of anger. It says, but do not sin. It is easy to sin when we're angry. How quickly we can lose control. Anger is one letter away from danger. And I think that that is a clever little statement. Uh, and I, I think of the ways that I have had moments where uh, anger has put me in danger, where I've allowed myself to get so worked up that I actually would put myself at risk. Uh, I mean, it could be, I mean, we hear about it all the time, road rage. It's like someone gets mad that they got cut off. Maybe they're just having a bad day. And next thing you know, they're chasing a car down the street, people pulling out guns, like freaking out. We're seeing it right now, uh, just again and again, just the war between those that feel that they shouldn't need to wear a mask and those that feel it's dangerous uh, to not wear one. And then just these, these combative positions uh, in which people become uh, enraged. And I saw it happen um, across uh, the street from my house. I saw a man literally walk down the street. My neighbors were wearing masks, working in their yard, and they tried to step out of his way. And he got so mad, he said, he said, I don't have Corona, and then just started swearing at them. Uh, and then it was face to face, uh, almost to the point of a physical assault and he ends up spitting in my neighbor's face, and then my neighbor chased him because he was mad, 
and the man ended up running into a bike rack, flipping into the middle of the road and landing on his head with a concussion and taken away in an ambulance. This is the kind of anger that turns to danger really, really quickly. It is the wrong kind of anger. And there is a lot of pent up anger that is not being dealt with, it is not being handled well. Uh, and it's not just in the world, it's happening in the church and it's happening in our church. And the, the wars that are happening in social media, uh, Jesus was angry, but he did not retaliate. And think about how quickly um, people are willing, and maybe it's you, who have been just quick to just jump down someone's throat because they posted something that frustrated you. Uh, you assume the worst, uh, and, and I think that, that this is something that we can all do. We jump to conclusions, uh, and it's a dangerous thing. First Peter chapter 2, verse 23, it says, When he was reviled, speaking of Jesus, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but he committed himself to him who judges righteously. And I think that even David, I think of Psalm 139, when he says, do I not hate those who hate you with a righteous indignation? He hates them. He wants his enemies to pay. But notice, it's not driven by self-concern. It's driven by an allegiance, a loyalty to his God. He brings his anger and his frustration to God and God alone. His greatest enemy in life was Saul. He never raised a finger against Saul. Uh, when David was upset, he, you know, he, he sang it out. <laughs> he spoke it out in prayer. He brought his frustrations to the one who can safely handle uh, our anxieties and our anger. And I think that this is something that we're seeing again. It's that confrontational wrath. It's the bad temper. It's the explosive fits. It's the uncontrollable tongue. Uh, even worse, potentially violent. And I, I, I remember I had a stepdad uh, named George who was a retired uh, Golden Glove boxer. And I, I was visiting uh, home. It was when I was uh, 19. And George came home from work and he told me, he, I, I said, how come you're home so early? And he goes, oh, I had to leave. I knocked my, I knocked my foreman out. And I'm like, you, what? And he said, yeah, I, I get mad when, he, when people swear around me. And he, I told him not to use the F word and he did anyway. And so I just knocked him out. And I was like, that's crazy. I don't know what to say to that. But some people have that kind of explosive anger. It turns to fury. Others of us, there's even a more insidious way of being angry where the anger turns into passive aggression. Uh, it's that non-confrontational wrath. Uh, it's the bitterness and the beguilement. It's violent daydreams. It's passive aggressive. It's slander. It's speaking because you're so mad and you can't confront the person. Uh, you, you take it to another and you vent about that person. And I think that both of these kinds of wrath are really, really damaging in the church. Confrontational wrath, where you're just ready to rip someone's head off in the moment, or non-confrontational wrath, where you just bring your anger to another, um, where you slander, uh, or where you, where you just, you've, you allow your imagination of what you would do if you were a more bold person. When I was horribly picked on as a kid, um, I remember sitting in class and daydreaming about making 
those kids that were hurting me every day pay. I allowed the pain that I was enduring from another turn into my own kind of sin, where it was an imaginative sin, where I allowed myself to imagine horrible things because I was hurt. And this is what it does. It's pain giving back pain. Uh, and this is not what we are called to do. In fact, James says, the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. And Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all of these things shall be added to you. And this is why Jesus said in Matthew 5, verse 44, I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. There's a real danger in carrying a grudge. This is the second part of that verse. The verse is, do not sin. Be angry, but do not sin. And we just considered this is, what leads into that sin is that confrontational wrath, that non-confrontational wrath. But the second part is even more dangerous, and that is un when we don't deal with our anger and we allow it to continue. The danger of carrying a grudge, do not let the sun go down on your, on your wrath. Time does not heal unresolved anger. And I just want to say this really clearly. You may have, be angry at a parent, um, at a sibling, at a coworker. Someone hurt you deeply and you've never dealt with it. All I can say is unresolved wrath opens you up to a full-blown attack from Satan himself. Uh, one of the most intense spiritual experiences I've ever had was dealing with a woman who had undealt with anger toward her father who had hurt her so deeply that it had led to years of eating disorders and ultimately what I believe was complete and total demonic oppression. And, and when we really got to the root of it, it was, it was when she experienced real deliverance, it, it was a confession that she had never dealt with her anger. She let the sun go down on her anger night after night after night, year after year after year, until she became overcome uh, by demonic oppression. And, you know, this is what happens when we hold on to our wrongs committed against us. We are no longer in control. That demonic reality of, of unconfessed anger and the ways that we give the spiritual world, <laughs> demonic activity, a foothold in our lives. And now, instead of us bringing that anger under, under the control that is a gift of the Holy Spirit, now that anger has control of us. It owns us. And vengeance never ends well. How many movies do we have to watch that show that there is no satisfaction in making our enemies pay? Uh, Jesus says the opposite, agree with your adversary quickly, come to resolve. Whatever angers us, that anger should lead us to a, a, a restorative posture. Um, and this is why if we nurture our offenses and refuse to forgive, bitterness will eventually give way to hatred. And we are told that whoever is angry with his brother or sister without cause is in danger of real judgment. 
E. Stanley Jones, the great Methodist missionary to India, once wrote, hate is sand in the machinery of, of life. Love is oil, and life works much better with oil than with sand. Uh, I thought that was a really clever little, little saying. Hatred is blindness. First John chapter 2, verse 11 says, But he who hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. You hear the, the, the saying, when I am angry, people that really struggle with angry, they say they see red. They just, it's almost like they can see nothing else. Hatred breeds blindness. It, it leads to the inability to, to have any sort of clarity. We need spiritual illumination uh, and hatred puts us in a place of darkness, which is why often when there's unresolved uh, anger, uh, it leads to this overwhelming sense that God is no longer near, that he's not with me because we're blind to his presence because we've allowed ourselves to be consumed by a sin that isn't being dealt with. Um, hatred is also murder. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. And we're told that Satan himself was a murderer from the beginning. And so once again, are we functioning like children of the light, or are we functioning like children of the devil? Remember what Jesus said? He's like, no, you follow your, your father, the devil. Uh, and the people were so angry, they wanted to stone him right there on the spot. But Jesus was pointing out that their anger and their animosity and their hatred toward him was a revelation of who their real father was. Proverbs 10, 12 says, Hatred stirs up strife, but love conquers all sins. We should not grieve the Holy Spirit, and that is what we're doing when we have unconfessed anger when we have a, a ref when we hold to a position where we refuse to forgive do not grieve the holy spirit by whom you were sealed ephesians chapter 4 verses 30 through 32 for the day of redemption let all bitterness wrath anger clamor and evil speaking notice confrontational wrath and non-confrontational wrath are both addressed there uh, be put away from you put it away with with all malice and be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ forgave you. And I would just add, do what I do. Buy a punching bag. It's not a person. And honestly, it's kind of nice to be able to hit something without feeling guilty. <laughs> it's just a side note in my new obsession with boxing. Uh, I think that, that we just, we vent on the wrong things, which is people. We are in the business of loving people, showing people grace. Justice for the Christian is revealed in grace. God's ability to take our wrongdoings into himself that we might be in a right relationship with him. It's giving people what they don't deserve, which is love. Um, but that is not what I see a lot of right now in this particular climate that we live in. We need four words that should drive us from fury to forgiveness. Forgiveness can be defined these ways as bearing, excusing, releasing, and restoring. Luke chapter 23 through 30, um, verse 34 says, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they do. Jesus prayed for forgiveness for the very people that were killing him. It's the very thing he came to do through his death. Forgiveness 
is made possible. And we are born again if indeed you have put your faith in Jesus. And if you haven't, put your trust in the one who has taken your wrongdoings, your anger, your bitterness, your sin, and he has dealt with it once and for all. And he invites everyone to come to him who are weary. And I don't know about you, but I am weary of what this world is doing right now. And that is why we need his grace to continue to on this path, this long obedience in the same direction, moving from one day to the next in grace, trusting Jesus is indeed on the throne and that he is coming back to set right what is wrong with the world. And until then, we are called to be conduits of grace, not conduits of wrath. Uh, so first of all, instead of fury, we, when someone hurts us, when we are when we are angered by the way that we are treated, we need to actually ask the question, are we, are we holding on to anger or are we forgiving? And what we are called to do as Christians is to bear another's wrong or maybe better described as absorb it, to lift, to bear up, to carry, to take. This is Joseph's brothers in Genesis uh, 50, 17, is that Joseph does not hold any grudge against his brothers for selling him into slavery and lying to their father that he was dead. Instead, he said, what you intended for evil, God intended for good. This is the beauty of that story, a total, absolute willingness to absorb their wrongdoing and actually declare that that there were redemptive purposes even in their their actions that were led by by jealousy um, and such a distaste for him their hatred of their own brother uh, god was able to weave that horrible reality into his redemptive story for israel and actually save uh, the children of israel through Joseph's, uh, Joseph's continued humility and surrender to God. And Joseph was not only willing to, to forgive his brothers, but he actually saw God's redemptive purposes in what happened. Uh, or we can excuse it. Not only absorb it, we excuse it. it it's about pardon. Uh, in Jeremiah 31, 34, it says, no more, no more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they all shall know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. There is a releasing. You have been pardoned. You are treated as if you have not sinned. That is how God treats us. Do we treat one another that way? Or do we want to make people continue to pay for what they have done. Do you release it? In other words, neglect it. Don't, don't feed your anger, but instead give yourself to a spirit of forgiveness, which is the ability to neglect the wrong that has been committed against us and to continue to see people um, as Jesus sees them. It's to let go of, to, to, um, to permit, uh, Matthew uh, 18, verses 21 and 22, Then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but 70 times seven. In other words, you never come to an end of needing to exercise the forgiveness that you are eternally benefiting from. 
you have to continually release the wrongs committed against you because you are yourself committing many wrongs against others. And that is why if we understand, that's why Jesus said, if you pull the log out of your own eye, you'll be pretty gentle when you deal with your brothers. And then finally, we restore. We don't just absorb it, excuse it, release it. We, we gently restore the one who has wronged us back to right relationship. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 7, so that, on the contrary, you ought rather to forgive and comfort the man who is committing gross acts of sin, sleeping with his father's wife, his stepmother. Uh, Paul told the Corinthians in the first letter to put him out of fellowship that his soul might be saved um, uh, and that, that through not having the comfort and the protection of the community, he would realize what he has lost. And, and it sounds like the man has come back repentant, but the people were reluctant to forgive him. And here he says, no, forgive and comfort him. Release it. Treat him as if it never happened by bringing him back into the family. This is what they do in AA so beautifully. And when someone fails and and goes back to the bottle, as long as they are willing to continue to push into those meetings and to be honest with, with what is going on, that these meetings are to be a place where there is no judgment. We are here to support your victory. It is the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. It's also the kindness of us that, that actually brings conviction and change to others. When we continue to treat people with with compassion in spite of them mistreating us. It breaks down barriers. Paul says when we are good to our enemies, it's like pouring hot coals upon their heads. There's something disarming. There's something that can break a person down when we can continue to show them love in spite of their anger toward us. If we choose, I will not respond to anger with anger, but instead I will continue to show grace. That is what the world needs to see uh, revealed in the church right now. It is manly to punish, but it is God-like to forgive. And I'm reminded of this beautiful passage in closing, in Psalm 46, verses four through seven, because this is what I see in our world right now. And some of you are so angry over what you see. Maybe you're angry at other brothers and sisters because they aren't holding ex to your viewpoint or exactly. And you think they're wrong because they like, they like this particular angle on what's happening in the world. And, or you're, you, you, you think they're too conservative or, or you think they're too liberal or whatever it might be, or you don't think they care enough about this issue. Uh, and, and you're allowing anger to just eat you up. You're, you're just, you're feeding on it. And what that leads to is a self-righteous indignation uh, that does damage to the soul. And, and listen, we shouldn't be surprised by the anger that we see in the world right now. For if man doesn't have, if humanity doesn't have Jesus, what is there to live for other than for oneself? And I would be quite angry if I can't as as a person who has been told I should be able to do whatever I want uh, when I can't 
do anything without being frustrated. Uh, there is increasing anger and a violence that's flowing out of that anger, and it's seeped into our streets, and it's it's infecting our cities. And in a time of quarantine, where the church is not allowed to gather, it can feel sort of hopeless because uh, because we uh, we as a community of faith are to be restrainers of evil by being a reflection of love and goodness. And right now we can feel kind of helpless because we're sort of left alone to our own devices. But let me just remind you of God's words in, in Psalm 46, verses 4 through 7. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. Let me just say in closing, we are children of a different kingdom than the kingdoms of man. And there is no kingdom on earth that is gonna bring an answer, a solution to the dilemmas of the world. There, there is no, there is no, no political uh, side that can heal the wickedness of the human heart. There is no legislation that can make a human being right. And there is no goodness in humanity by which humanity in its own strength can actually live peaceably with one another. There will always be this reality at play. And this is why we need to understand, and I need you to hear me clearly on this, because some of you have bought into the lie that things can get better if the right policies are in place. And you're angry that things aren't better already. But let me just tell you this, the issues of this moment that we are living in are not political. They are theological, they are spiritual. And the answer is the continued same answer that you will always hear from me, and it is the gospel of peace. It is recognizing that for us, justice looks like God on a cross. It's called grace. It's called mercy, which is what the scales bend toward. And this is why we need to recognize that we are awaiting the city of God and the holy habitation of the Most High. For God is in the midst of her and she shall not be moved. God will help her when the morning dawns. The nations rage, notice that. The kingdoms totter. He utters his voice and the earth melts. Let the Lord of hosts, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. While the nations rage, we are to be continued conduits of what peace looks like because our kingdom is not of this earth. We are a part of another kingdom and we are to be a kingdom outpost. And so we can't afford to walk around uh, thinking that we are capable conduits of righteous indignation, what we need is to be a people that are marked by a continual a gentleness, a quickness to forgive, and a willingness to bring our anger to the only one who can safely handle it, and that is God. Leave wrath to Him, and let us be conduits of His grace. Listen, on your worst day, Jesus is crazy about you. I love you guys so much. Until next time, this is Josh.
Yeah. 